I'm Michael Hasted, and welcome to Arts Talk Radio, which brings you interviews, news and reviews relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, which are either in English or where language is no problem. We concentrate on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and everything in between or nearby. Arts Talk Radio Online. Interviews and features on the arts in English. We're visiting museums this week, probably just in time before restrictions are brought in. Zoe Baus is in The Hague and talks with art historian Wendy Fossen about a new exhibition at the Moritz House and some little-known Dutch history to go with it. In spite of all the problems, there are lots of new and exciting things happening in Rotterdam, and I was back there last weekend for a very special event. We are at the depot, which is uh, an extension of the Boymans van Bernigen Museum. Uh, it's not a gallery, it's, as it, the clue's in the name, it's the depot, and it's where they will keep all their pictures. And all those pictures will be accessible to the public, so you can walk in and have a look at a picture of your choice in storage. Now, for those of you who don't know it, it is in fact a giant bowl. It's 40 metres high and it's 40 metres across the top. And on the top, there are trees and a garden. And it is an architectural wonder. And although, strictly speaking, it's not a museum, it is certainly going to rival the Guggenheim in Bilbao and the Pompidou Centre in Paris. I mean, it's going to be an iconic piece of architecture. Anyway, we're going to make our way inside to see what's happening there. It really is quite incredible. The building is covered in mirrors, so as you move round it, the sky and the whole of Rotterdam is reflected like a giant kaleidoscope. It's amazing. Although the main structure of the depot is finished, this is still a building site, as you can hear, and there is a lot of work going on around with cranes and diggers. And the fire alarm or something seems to be going off inside. For this weekend only, the press and the public are invited in so they can see work in progress. And very exciting it is too. Right, we're inside the perimeter fence and I think we have to go in past that security guard who seems to be controlling the door like a bouncer at an exclusive nightclub. What did he say? He says one moment. Oh. <laughs> Well, we're now inside, surrounded by builders, ladders, temporary lighting and cables, and they're still testing the fire alarms. At least I hope it's a test, or we'll all have to go outside again. I'm being told we have to go over there and get a hard hat, as this is still officially a construction site with all the health and safety rules that have to be enforced. Do we have to well, wear a crash helmet? Yes, you do have to wear Are things likely to fall on our head? It's still a construction site. Do we get a yellow jacket as well? No, no, no. And you also don't have to wear those ugly shoes. Usually you have also to wear construction shoes. With a steel toe cap. Fantastic. Thank you. We've now come up in the lift and we're on the fifth floor, which is the penultimate floor before the roof garden and it's incredible it's all steel staircases and lifts and everything and it's it's like a Piranesi drawing or a 
or an Escher drawing, something like that. It's quite incredible. I'm with Charles X, who's um, the director of this wonderful building, and it must be a, a relief that it is actually open. Well, we are one year before the real opening, eh? so this is the silver opening. You see the building is silver from the outside, but uh, still a little dusty in the inside where we are now. And we look forward to the opening immensely, and we are more or less surprised that so many people are already curious to see the building one year before that it's finished. I know. I, when the tickets went online for this weekend, I think there were 7,000 of them. They were in, sold in, out within, within an hour hours, or so. Three hours, yeah. Um, yeah, it will be very crowded for three days. And then the doors will be closed, and people who will be in the, in the, in the depot uh, will have a, a unique experience, because next time the depot is full at work in exploitation with over 160,000 artworks installed and uh, the racks are full and I think it's very very exciting to see how much we care for art and um, this is also the reason that we that we're doing this we would like to make people aware of what you can do with heritage and so you should be careful you could you could improve the quality you should know what you well, but, but, it was but I mean, this is an incredible building. I mean, it's going to rank alongside the Guggenheim in Bilbao and the Pompidou in Paris. But it's not a museum. No, no, but yeah. it's a, yeah. a building which houses art, and I think it's yeah. going to be yeah. but an in, iconic in, building. In, in a way, it's, it's, it's iconical, but it's also very practical. And so it, it makes the museum next door, uh, 80 meters from here, um, again, a museum where audience and art will meet. Mm. And all the things that we did, looking into books, what we like, going to, into the print room, what we immensely like, looking at Leonardo in person, what we like most, that's all done here. And so you see that the function between uh, caring for art and studying art is divided now from looking at art and assembling with the audience and having aesthetic experiences. Absolutely. And that is a kind of organization principle that we would like to follow for the next year. But you're, this is the first, first, it's a world leader, isn't it, having this, uh, the public um, access to the storage? Yeah, maybe we are the only ones. Uh, mm. so it's and I think people are going to... It could, it could also be the last. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think people, I think that isn't the V&A in London or no, the no, National no, Gallery so or somebody? We, the, the the many, many of our professional colleagues follow oh. and they would also like to learn from the failures that we make. Will there be failures? Uh, I'm, I'm sure there will, because it's a, it's a novum. It's really, yeah, yeah. it's innov innovative. And so are there, are there things now, now it's more or less finished, the, the structure's yeah. finished, are there things you look at and think, oh dear, we should have done that? Well, um, so if I now see how many people are curious to be at the inside, I would, I would hope that our elevators will manage to bring people up and down. Go to the stairs? Yeah, okay, but well. You're, you're young and fresh, but not all, not all people go for... And we have to behave also um, very open to people who are not able to, yeah, to yeah, walk, of course, of course because yeah. we are an open and public institute. Is it, is it as you expected? I know there were lots of drawings and lots of um, computer um, animations, and things, but it's more, does it feel the same it's as It's more usual? energetic. I saw the computer... I liked, I loved the computer animations, but now I'm here, I see really... I see the light, I see what the sun is doing, I see what the difference is between the, 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 the narrow base and the, and the, the heaven upstairs. Eh? You have to have seen the, not, not yet, the rooftop, no. it's unbelievable. Idea, unbelievable. It's like the most expensive hotel that you could <laughs> never allow yourself exactly. to go into. Eh? But we'll take a coffee. It's, uh, I mean, it has many characters and uh, I, I'm, I'm surprised myself. I mean, I invented it, I didn't draw it, <laughs> I invented it. But uh, I'm still a little uh, shaky about what, uh, what came out of it. 
But I think everybody's going to love it. I think people are going to come from miles around if they're allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sarah Lex of Boyman's One Burnigan, thanks very much for that. And we should look forward to going upstairs and having a picnic yeah. on the lawn. See you later in the okay. press conference. Bye bye. I'm now up on the roof, the big terraced roof, 40 metres diameter, trees which are <laughs> five or six metres high, grass, plants, it's like being in a little park except one's 150 feet off the ground or whatever. And there's incredible views over Rotterdam. It's, luckily it's a nice day, they were forecasting rain but in fact it's actually quite nice. And you can see an awfully long way. You can see the Erasmus Bridge over there. And you can see the Boymans next door. And in the middle there's um, a cafe which is also covered in mirrors. So if the weather is inclement or too windy, and it's quite windy today, you'll be able to sit inside and admire the view. It really is quite incredible. I mean, it's like a five-star hotel somewhere very expensive. And um, you'll be able to just walk in here and have a coffee and take in the view and pretend you're a millionaire. Right, we're going to go back inside now and um, have a look around. Thank you, Irene. A very good welcome here to Rotterdam. Wonderful that you made it. Well, in fact, the speeches have just started. And Cheryl X, the director of the Boyle's Van Bernigan, has just begun speaking. Pre-opening, the building was not even delivered yet, but we are welcome here to have four days, uh, people from Rotterdam and friends and people from the press to tell about what's going on. The depot will be open and fully functioning in September 2021, and I for one can't wait. In the meantime, you can come along and stare in amazement at the outside of the building, which is truly a wonder to behold. And uh, my first um, days started with many, many, many talks to the new staff, new friends. You're listening to Arts Talk Radio, and I'm Michael Hasted. We're at the pre-opening of the depot of the Boyman's Van Berningen Museum in Rotterdam and these speeches are probably going to continue for a while yet. So we'll go over to The Hague, where Zoe Baus has been to a new exhibition and learning some little-known Dutch history. It was clear that something had to be done about the storage facilities of the museum. 151,000 works, seven centuries, eight billion of market value, um, and it was not safe. So that was the first thing that made me think that we should uh, go and search for a solution. Arts Talk Radio Online. Many of us are familiar with the Mauritshuis Museum and Gallery here in The Hague. And today on Arts Talk Radio, I'm joined once more by Wendy Fossen, art historian. Wendy, welcome. Thank you, Zoe, for having me again. It's lovely to have you. And we've just had a very, very interesting discussion about a new exhibition at the Maurits House that focuses on quite a different aspect of this very well-known figure from The Hague. So, Wendy, just tell us a little bit about the thinking behind this new exhibition. 
Um, well, Johan Maurits um, was the person who actually commissioned the house, so he had the house built. And even in the 17th century, it was already clear where he got his finances from. Because when he decided to build the house, he had no money. So he was offered a job by the West Indies company uh, and he took them up on their offer and he went to Brazil. His job to do over there was to take over the sugar trade from uh, the Portuguese over there. He succeeded, he kicked the Portuguese out and he took over the sugar trade and thereby also earning a lot of money uh, because of his role as governor over there. Uh, and with that money, he could pay for the building of the Mauritshuis. Okay, yes. So now he was in fact governor of what they call um, Dutch Brazil. Yes, exactly. And it's my understanding that this, this situation lasted for about 25 years. Yeah, not a very long period. Uh, so he returned after not even a decade being over there. He was according to say one side of the story he was very popular or people have this idea that he was a very enlightened person well he was in one sense because he took with him and it was also something that was um, encouraged by the West Indies company uh, he took with him people uh, from all different uh, specialties, so botanical uh, specialists uh, scientists so the, the first records that we have of what Brazil looks like and um, the, the nature in Brazil, animals, plants and stuff, that was all thanks to the people, the scientists that went to Brazil with Johan Maurits. But that is just one side of his character. And Unfortunately, there's also another side. And that's been the one, obviously, that we have been uh, made more familiar with. Well, recently, yes, because until, we have... recently. Yeah, because we have had an exhibition in, in 2019 uh, focusing on the entire role of Johan Mauritz in Dutch Brazil, including his role in the slave trade. Because the only way to keep the sugar mills running, as what the Portuguese had done, is to have them operated by enslaved people. So what happened was that he took over the slave trade from the Portuguese and thereby drawing the Dutch Republic into the slave trade. Yes. Now, now you explained to me, Wendy, that, that in fact, and I didn't know this, the Netherlands had not really been involved. In not the until trade then. No. Until that point. No. So it, it was just, you know, by, by having uh, or by being forced to keep these mills running, mm. he could do nothing else but you know, take part of this slave trade. Slave trade that was already undertaken by the Spanish and the Portuguese for, say, a hundred years before that. So it was already in that part of the world. Uh, well, established. Established, yes. Mm, okay, so there's that aspect to the sort of a de facto involvement in, in slavery, if you can yeah. call it that. But then also, I think, in this exhibition and also from research done by a dedicated team, mm -hmm. Uh, I believe they found that, that Johan himself did, he himself traded or had made private sort of profit yes. from trading slaves. So yes. this is yet another aspect of his 
past that perhaps we exactly so, so it's it, it wasn't just you know the formal part of it the, the legal trade but he also participated in illegal uh, trade and and that, that's the side of him that we didn't know so thanks to this special uh, group of researchers that has been established uh, since a few years they now find out all these different aspects from his being in Brazil and one of the things that they found out was that he actually disguised ships as Portuguese ships uh, while carrying enslaved people because he wasn't allowed to do so but the, under the flag of the Portuguese ships he was so he kind of you know he was illegal trading uh, enslaved people he knew how to work yeah okay so to get then back to the exhibition uh, as you've mentioned there's now a dedicated team and they're looking at it from a perhaps a less art historical angle yep. and a more purely historical historical perhaps. yeah but what can visitors to this exhibition what can they expect to find there? well the paintings that are in the exhibition are from our own collection and they have been scattered around the museum previously so, but now they've been brought together so we as as well I'm, I'm not allowed to do any tours <laughs> but if I was to be uh, able to tour people around I would then have a proper space to explain about Johann Mauritz the, his portrait that was usually uh, lining the stairs is now in this room so I can introduce him. Mm. I can introduce the sugar trade and the gold trade and the transatlantic trade that was a result of all this by um, using several paintings that are there. There's this, for instance, this little girl standing there and she's uh, wearing gold mm. and there is sugar on the table next to her. So um, you can link those, you know, the sugar from Brazil, the gold from Africa and the whole transatlantic trade you can explain. Uh, I can also show that Johann Mauritz, um, when he came back after about seven years being in Brazil, he came back, I think it was about three or four shiploads of stuff, of Brazilian stuff that he brought with him pineapples for instance things we had never seen before here but also a beautiful feathered cape and that cape is actually worn by Mary Stewart who was probably uh, borrowed it from Johann Mauritz and on that particular painting is not only the bright orange feathered cape that she's wearing but she's accompanied by a, um, a black boy um, he functioned in those days on that particular painting he functions as pure decoration we don't know who he is that's the the, the dark side of it that many of these people that were were in paintings or or worked for Dutch people we don't know that much they're about nameless, them they're nameless yes so so that's something that 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 people can go and see. Yes. Uh, it's opened already, I yep. believe. We have to bear in mind that the house itself is the Maurits house and we're not going to change the name because no. he is the one who had the house commissioned but the collection itself has nothing to do with Johann Maurits no. so it's just his house in which he lived for a, a relatively brief period in time and the collection was amassed by the stadtholders in, in the end of the 18th century right. so much later okay. uh, than, uh, than the house was built. Another thing that I want to mention as well is that people sometimes ask, um, was there no objection 
in the 17th century to the slave trade. And there was, there were, even within the West Indies Company, there were questions asked or, you know, doubts about the slave trade, mostly also about the, the, the fact that they didn't find it too lucrative. So that's more of a business-like approach. But you also have like the, the reference in uh, the, the Dutch churches that weren't really pleased with the idea. And one of the important things to know is that here in the Dutch Republic in the 17th century, having an enslaved person in your household, not as a servant, free of his own will to come and go, it was illegal. And we know of merchants trading with either the East or the West, that they brought back people with them and they couldn't keep them for very long. There was also a, a, a limit of time that you could actually, uh, and then you had to release them. And that's also an interesting thing because also in the Mauritius we have a beautiful painting by uh, Rembrandt of uh, two black men. They're most likely from Africa um, and Rembrandt lived in an area where a large African community lived because you can imagine that when these people were released, released people that were, they, they had they, to live somewhere. They had to course. live somewhere and he used some of these neighbors living in his area as models for his paintings. Well, makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of food for thought there. Definitely. Coming up for those of us who are interested in fashion. There's a, a big fashion exhibition in uh, the Kunstmuseum uh, just started this weekend, but that will be a, a, a different subject for Absolutely, another time. but something to look forward to. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Wendy, for joining us today on Arts Talk. That was Zoe Bowes with art historian Wendy Fossen at the Moritz House in The Hague. Arts Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk magazine, all one word, dot NL. Arts Talk magazine, dot NL. Well, doesn't time fly? That's the end of another edition of Arts Talk Radio. We'll be back in a week or so, hopefully with lots more interesting people to talk to. If you have any comments, please leave them in the box below. We're always going to be pleased to hear from you. My name is Michael Hasted, and so till the next time, it's goodbye. <laughs>